You can open your Bible at Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Genesis 3, verse 16. And tonight I'm just going to preach the first part of the verse. A while back I preached the second half of the verse. But for tonight, I'm finishing the series on marriage and family tonight. So please will you pray for me in this week. I don't know what to preach next. I've got an idea of two different series and uh, I'm planning to preach both of them, not at the same time, but I'm planning to preach both of them and I don't know which one to do first. So I'd appreciate your prayers. The one series is on the Holy Spirit and the other series is on personal and interpersonal problems uh, that is just a continuation of uh, this, this big series, First Aid for the Soul. So, um, please pray for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy and exalted God, magnificent, majestic, as we sang this morning, magnificent, marvelous, matchless love. What great love you have shown to us, poor sinners, people who were lost without hope and without God in this world, And you brought to us eternal life through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would speak tonight, Lord, on a very relevant topic, something we see especially in this area, but in South Africa and worldwide, on the issue of birth pangs, uh, all the different aspects and facets of this. We pray that you would teach us from your Word and the truths of your Word. Give us insight, give us wisdom, give us understanding how to deal with this issue with these matters, not in our own lives merely, but also uh, with colleagues and family members and friends and strangers and, and where we move and where we go, that we would be able to speak truth and to speak the truth in love. In Jesus' name, Amen. So birth pangs, uh, in Afrikaans, geboortepijne or birth pains, you could call this and I'll explain as we go along. Now when My wife was pregnant with our first child, Nicole. Uh, She was in labor for 12 hours. A lot of pain and contractions. And eventually, Nicole didn't arrive. Nicole didn't come to see the light of day. And so they had to do, uh, you know, very Engels, (laughs) ne? They had to do a (laughs) Nootkaiser. A C-section, but an emergency. Yes, so it was an emergency. They had to do the cesarean or the C-section and Nicole was born. Now, that is not what I mean when I speak of birth pangs. Or that is not only what I'm referring to when I refer to birth pangs or birth pains. It's much more than that. And let's see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing In pain you shall bring forth children. Now you know the old joke that says that, do you know why men get colds? Why does a man get a cold, a fukoa? It's so that he can feel what a woman feels like when she gives birth. (laughs) Just meaning that, uh, weak, men are weak, men are weak, and we don't have the first idea of what it really means to have birth pains and and what women go through when they give birth. Now these birth pangs or these birth pains, that is a special punishment that God gave upon the woman in Genesis 3. He also gave a punishment upon the man in the next verse, uh, verse 17 to 19, where the man will also have pain but in a different way. But here's the pain that God brings upon the woman. Why? Because, like Adam, she disobeyed the command, you may eat of all the trees in the garden, but of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. The day you eat of that tree, you die. And this punishment, it's not only for women who have children, this even touches women who never never have children, uh, or never even get married. And I'm going to show that to you tonight. Now, this is important to grasp and to understand. Verse 16, this is a punishment that God gave 
to the woman. It says in verse 16, to the woman, God said, He, God, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And you find that, that even later on in the Old Testament. This is not the devil punishing the woman. In the previous verses, verse 14 and 15, God even punishes the serpent, the snake, Satan who came into the serpent and deceived the woman and also tempted the man through his wife. So this is not the devil bringing this punishment. This is God. And you see it later on in Genesis 20, for example, verse 17 and 18. It is God who makes, who makes the, the uh, wife, wives of Abimelech and all these slaves, these slave women, that they cannot bear children in Genesis 20. And then later on again, it is God in Genesis 29 that closes the womb of Rachel. And in Genesis 30, God, Jacob says to his wife, the Lord has closed your womb that you cannot have children. Numbers chapter 5, when the woman gets pain in her womb, it is the Lord who brings that upon her. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, when David's wife, one of his wives called Michal, when Michal mocks David and she scoffs at him and she, she's almost like disgusted with her husband for dancing in front of the ark. And then it says, and the Lord closed her womb, that she never had children to the day of her death. In Hosea chapter 9 verse 14, the Lord says, I will see to it that you will not have children. The Lord closes the womb. So don't jump to conclusions. And we do that. We do that. When a woman can't have children, we say, oh, or maybe she's got a difficult pregnancy. Then we say, oh, it's the devil who's come to steal and destroy. And we quote John chapter 10 and, and then apply to that situation. But this verse says, I will bring these pains upon you. I bring this punishment upon you. And even if there are demons, that is, you might have demons, Satan and demons behind pregnancy problems, then still God is the first cause. Because Satan cannot do anything more than God allows. Like in the book of Job, chapter 1 and 2. Thus far you may go with my servant Job, Satan, but you cannot go any further. And the same in this case. So God is still sovereign. And that it's not different when it gets to believers. Because verse 16a, to the woman, he said. And this is a woman who believes in God, Eve. And God brings this punishment upon her. Genesis chapter 16 verse 2, there you have Abraham's wife Sarah. And Sarah too, the Lord closed her womb. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 5 and 6, there's a believing woman called Hannah, Samuel's mother. The Lord closed her womb. So it's still God. Now the big difference between the Christian and the non-Christian here is that if, when the Christian has these kinds of problems, a Christian woman, then God promises He will work all things together for the good of those who love Him. He will work it out to their advantage. And He will use that, that trial and that suffering in the life of this woman and He will draw that woman to Himself. And He will use that suffering and that trouble to make that woman more and more like Jesus when she comes in dependence upon her Heavenly Father and cries out in suffering and in, in uh, doubt sometimes. And I don't understand why can't I have children or what, uh, why do I have this difficult pregnancy or whatever the case may be. Now a question, uh, either for you as a woman or maybe for someone watching online, or maybe for a friend who has this question, do you pray about this issue? Do you pray about this matter? Lord, why do I have this difficult pregnancy? Or why can't I have children? Or what, whatever else the case may be. Then I want to encourage you tonight to say that the Lord will hear your prayers. And the Lord will answer your prayers. But God doesn't answer this prayer in the same way for everyone. So for some, for, for some women, God will answer the prayer by... Let's say they can't have kids. God will answer the prayer by then giving them children. For instance, uh, you get uh, Jacob's wife, Rachel, and Rachel couldn't have children. And then Rachel, at, we read in the end of Genesis chapter 30 or toward the end, chapter 30, verse 22. And it says, and the Lord answered Rachel's request. And she conceived and she had a child. And then you find the same in 1 Samuel that I referred to just now, Hannah. Hannah couldn't have children, and she pleads with God in, the, in that chapter. She prays, and then God answers the prayer, and He gives her children. He gives her Samuel, and later on she has more kids. Uh, Psalm 113 verse 9, that God gives children to the barren woman, and He gives her a family. 
He gives her a family. He gives children. I know of a pastor and his wife. For nine years they could not have children. And they prayed and God answered the prayer and He gave them children. I read this story of a Zulu pastor called William Duma. Uh, so a Jewish lady called him. What happened was this Jewish lady had five miscarriages. Miskram. And then she was desperate and she desperately wanted children. And the lady working for her in the house, the domestic worker, she said, why don't you ask my pastor to come? His name is William Duma and he can pray for you. And she said, you stupid, I will never ask a Christian pastor to come. I'm a Jew. And eventually she did ask the pastor to come. The pastor came, he sat down with her and he said, I can only pray in the name of Jesus if I pray for you. I'm a Christian. And she said, I will never allow that. Go away. I don't want you to pray in the name of Jesus. And he said, I'll give you some time to think about it. And then she went upstairs, 10 minutes later, she came down and she said, okay, pray in the name of Jesus. And then he prayed for her in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And nine months later, the lady and her husband walk in and she's this far pregnant. And she just came to say, the Lord answered that prayer. And then when the child was born, they called William Duma to the hospital to say, please, will you come and give a name for this baby boy? So the Lord does answer that prayer for some women in that way. Another way God answers it is by in vitro fertilization. Now in vitro fertilization is when they take the man's seed and the woman's seed in a, in a lab, a scientific lab, and they bring the, the male and the female seed together and then they implant that embryo in the woman's womb. Now a man and woman in our church did that. They could not have children and... They did that, it cost a lot of money, and they got twins. Twins. And then later on, they had a child of their own. Not through in vitro fertilization. So the Lord answered it in that way for them. Now, I do want to give some biblical principles when it comes to in vitro fertilization. In vitro fertilization. So that is medical technology, but that is a gift, I believe, from the Lord, and you may disagree on it and have your questions, but I believe it's a gift from God through science, but it's meant for a married man and woman. It's not meant for a single woman. It's not meant for a homosexual couple. It's not meant, which is sin. It's not meant for uh, just um, a guy and his girlfriend living together and they want a child. No. God wants children to grow up in a home where there's a father and a mother who are married. That's God's normal pattern. You, uh, Psalm 128, for example. There's the husband, there's the wife. They're all their little children like olive trees sitting around the dinner table. And I think another principle I would, I would bring in here, that it would be better to freeze, to freeze the husband's seed and the wife's seed separately. And not to bring them together and now you've got an embryo and you freeze the embryo. And the reason I say that is because you can only implant so many embryos. Let's say the husband and wife, uh, five, five embryos have now been made with a seed being brought together. Now how are you, you going to carry five embryos in your womb? It's going to be difficult. They can freeze it and implant it later on. But it might be better not to do that. Here's why. Because if you destroy the embryos you don't use, you're destroying a life. Because the moment the male seed and the female seed come together, that is a life, that is a human being. And now by just destroying and discarding those, those embryos, you, you're killing. You're destroying a human life. So it's better to freeze the male seed and the female seed separately. What is perhaps an, uh, a good idea, and we had a case like this, and some of you know the people, where the husband and wife could not have children and you adopt an embryo. Okay, so that's possible where they've got these frozen embryos. You adopt an embryo and they implant it into the woman's womb. And so now, in a sense, they've adopted a child before their child is born. It's the same as adopting it after birth. Now you're just adopting the baby before birth. And you probably know of whom, 
who, who I'm talking, people you know very well, who did that. And I believe it's not unbiblical. Uh, you're saving a life. Remember that Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, Joseph adopted Jesus before he was even born. Uh, he, uh, at least, let's say, he accepted Jesus as his own, although Jesus was his stepson, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, that does not mean that surrogacy, surrogatskap, surrogacy is such a good idea. Now, surrogacy, for those who think that's a big word, all it means is here you've got a husband and wife, they can't have children, and they can't even have an embryo implanted into the womb for some reason. The woman can't have that. And so what they do, they take the husband's seed and the wife's seed in a scientific lab, and they bring it together, there you have an embryo, and then they plant that embryo into another woman. And so that woman now carries the child for this husband and wife. That is not such a good idea, biblically. Uh, let me just take a biblical principle. In Genesis chapter 16, do you remember when, when Sarah was now tired of waiting? When's God going to give us this child? What did she do? Surrogacy. Okay, Abraham, why don't you sleep with my slave girl? And you have a child, but that is my child. And what happened? Ooh, jealousy, bitterness, fighting. I even saw on Google in preparing the sermon that there are court cases, people having ugly fights because of this. So here's the husband and wife. The, it's their seed, but the embryo gets implanted into another woman's womb. And that woman in the end, now there's fighting in court. Because hey, now there's jealousy and this woman, this, the wife gets jealous because that is not a good idea. Um, I don't think that's a great idea to follow. So if, if you're in a case like that, all right, it's very important to gain the husband and the wife's seed. Eh? Not an outside woman bring her seed in and the husband, no, 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 no don't even go there. So a husband and the wife. Uh, but if there's a case where that cannot happen, then it's best to just adopt a child. Adopt a child if you want children. That honors God because God cares about orphans. We saw that last Sunday evening in James 1 verse 27. Now, what if you cannot afford adopting a child because it costs money? What if you can't afford in vitro fertilization, which a few years back cost 50,000? And I heard again from someone not long ago that it now costs 90,000 rands, a lot of money. What if you don't have that kind of money? Then you wait on the Lord. You wait on the Lord uh, like Abraham. Abraham, I don't know how long he waited for a child, but in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was 75 years old when he came to Canaan, but he was already married then. So it must be longer than 25 years that they couldn't have children because Genesis 11 verse 30 said, says that, that Sarah was barren. She could not have children. So now Abraham just waits on the Lord until he's a hundred. Now most of you, probably none of you, are going to wait till you're a hundred. <laughs> uh, Isaac waited 20 years in Genesis 25. For 20 years his wife could not have children and he prayed and God answered the prayer. So you wait on the Lord. How long should you pray? How long should you pray for if you can't have children? Listen to what Jerry Bridges says. How, how do we know how long to pray? As long as we can pray trustingly with an attitude of acceptance of God's will. Lord, I'm praying about this, but I'll accept your will. Then we should pray as long as the desire remains. As long as you want children and you can pray with a humble attitude, keep on praying. Number two, the woman's pain. <coughs> what is the worst pain you've ever had? Gallstones. Someone will say kidney stones. Gout. Oh, you know that Charles Spurgeon said when he got gout, he quoted an old writer and he said, I thought that a cobra had bitten me, but it was worse. It was gout. <laughs> Perhaps snake poison in your body. My friend was, uh, you know my friend from Paris, Yanni Fosley, he was bitten by a snake. He says it's the worst pain he's ever had. Uh, maybe snake poison, maybe cancer. Maybe toothache. My wife said that. She says it's worse than birth pains. Um, one night I woke up and she was sitting in bed with toothache or whatever other pain. But I think, I think that birth pangs, birth pains 
It must be somewhere for an era. Because <laughs> uh, as I understand, it's very bad. Now actually all pain is a result of the fall. It's a result of sin coming into the world. Verse 16 again. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Verse 17. To Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat. And so on. So pain is a result of the fall. At least the intensity of pain. Uh, pain in a sense is a gift of God because if you can't feel pain and you put your hand on the fire uh, and you don't know there's a fire and you feel no pain, you burn your hand off. So in a sense it's a gift of God, but the multiplication, the intensification of pain is definitely a result of the fall. Now, when it speaks of birth pains in verse 16, that is not limited to the actual giving of birth. It's not even limited to, to, to the final contractions, uh, the crown pain. It's more than that. The Hebrew word there, when it says in verse 16, I'll multiply pain in childbearing, that word there is not talking about giving birth to the child. That word in the Hebrew can mean conception, the moment the sperm cell and the egg cell come together, and it can refer also to pregnancy. So that can be the full term of pregnancy, and it's not limited to physical pain. That can be emotional pain. That can be even spiritual pain. Let me give you some examples. Your hormones are all mixed up and messed up. And you, you get skin problems. And you're crying and you don't know why. And your husband says, why are you crying? I don't know. So it's honest, honest, boer. And having an abnormal appetite. You, you, you've got cravings. And what do you want to eat, darling? What can I get you for now? I want soil from the garden. I want sunlight liquid. <laughs> and you have all these abnormal cravings and desires and, and you, ab abnormal cravings, abnormal appetite that you eat, but not only for you and the baby, but as if you're expecting triplets. Uh, and then feeling, feeling bilious, feeling sick. You want to vomit, morning sickness, which is not only in the morning, sometimes in the evening. And you struggle to walk and your feet swell and your legs swell. And you struggle to sleep at night and your thermometer is just haywire. The temperature goes up and you're getting so hot and you're, you want the fan on, but it's winter. And your husband's saying, give me the duvet. Um, and then effect, uh, infection and and I don't know how many people speak this. I've seen in Afrikaans pre-eclampsia. Pre-eclampsia? Uh, where there's an abnormal blood pressure and it's, it's, it's very dangerous. Uh, that you need bed rest and maybe even hospitalized. And then miscarriages. That's part of these birth pangs, these pains. Miscarriages, the baby. I didn't know it's such a, it's a, such a traumatic thing for women. I've seen in our own church when, and in my own family when there are miscarriages, the tears, the crying that I've lost this baby. Um, and then uh, etopic pregnancies near Boeswangerskop, uh, which is also, which can be dangerous, but that also, and contractions before the child is born, and then the actual birth pains, and then, uh, she can't, the baby can't be born. Dilate, yeah. She does not dilate. And, and then when the baby is stillborn, so you give birth to the baby and you didn't know, uh, or maybe you did know, and then the baby's dead. You can think of that pain that a woman experiences. And then having a child and the child is born and maybe there's, um, the child is mentally retarded or maybe there's some physical disability, bodily disability, or even the mother dies during childbirth like Rachel did. In Genesis chapter 35. Now C-sections, caesareans, caesars, that a lot of those problems I mentioned can be cut, um, yeah, cut out and get rid of uh, through C-sections, but you can't get rid of all of those problems by simply having a C-section. Some of those problems stay. Pain is part of the package. In pain. In pain. I'll multiply your pain in childbearing. Now actually the pain that we see in the Bible here, the pain that we see as a result of the fall of man, that is just a picture. That is just a preview 
of the eternal pains of hell. So hell, in Revelation chapter 16, it speaks of pain. And it's eternal pain according to Revelation chapter 14. How can you escape from the pains of hell? That is the ultimate pain. How do you escape that? Do you know how you escape that? You escape that through the Son of God who experienced the Son of God, the son, who became the Son of Man, who experienced the full weight of pain in his body, in his mind, in his soul. Physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. When Jesus died on the cross, they wanted to give him a mixture of myrrh and aloes. They wanted to give him this mixture to drug him so that his muscles aren't tense and they could drive the nails through easier. Uh, they wanted to give this so that he, uh, you know, uh, uh, deafens the pain. Jesus wouldn't drink it. Why? Because he wanted to experience the full weight of pain upon himself for our sins. So he experienced physical pain when he was whipped, when he was scourged. He experienced emotional pain when his disciples ran away and left him. All his friends left him. When people spit on him, when people mocked him, when people scoffed at him and laughed at him. And he experienced spiritual pain when it grew dark while he was hanging on the cross. The sun stopped shining and Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus experienced the full weight of pain in all his humanity, in all his being. He understood and understands our pain. Why? To save us from the pain of hell so that we can enjoy the comfort of heaven for all those who will repent and trust in him. So birth pangs. And any other pain you're experiencing emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, now, in your life at this moment, or it's coming in 2022. All of those pains, it's temporary. It's not going to last forever. Because soon we will be with the Lord. And when we are with the Lord Jesus Christ, and when Jesus returns also and creates a new heavens and a new earth, there will be no more, no more, Pain. Revelation 21 verse 4. Number three, the child's pain. I went on to Will Dometer, their website. You've seen that. Remember when COVID just started and you used to check the stats of COVID? That's on Will Dometer. I think you spell it Will-O-Meter. Um, and I checked the stats on abortion. This was shocking to me yesterday when I saw this. Yesterday afternoon at 5 o'clock, the stats for abortion, 15 January, and the stats start from 1 January 2022. Within 15 days, 1.72 million abortions. That is 113,000 babies being murdered every day. And that's only the stats that are recorded. That isn't even a, a, backstreet, and a backstreet abortion. Wow. You see what abortion is? Abortion is some kind of um, it's some kind of a tent where people want to get rid of that verse. They don't want the schlep, the beslummerness of raising children, of going through pregnancy, of having all these troubles and issues. And now that's not the only reason people are bought. There are other reasons, but this is one of the reasons. They don't want this pain. They want to try and escape the pain. And what they really do is they make the pain worse. They make the pain worse. Why? Apart from the fact that the child experiences pain when his arms are torn off or he's injected with saline with some salty water uh, or he's cut to pieces or vacuumed, apart from, from the pain of that child and the death of that child, the woman is raping her own conscience. God has given her a conscience to know that you are murdering this child and it's it's terribly traumatic for a woman like that to know I've murdered the child. I've killed the child. Now, now many people, and actually most people in the world are going to tell you, no, but it's not a child. It's not a child. It's just an embryo. The Bible disagrees. In Psalm 51, verse 5, David says, In sin I, my mother conceived me. The moment of conception, David says, I was a sinner. How can you be a sinner if you're not a human? It is God who gives the gift of conception. When the male uh, seed 
reaches the female seed. God gives that gift. According to Ruth chapter 4 verse 13. It is God, as Quirce read in Psalm 139 this evening. It is God who forms us in our mother's womb. And the same in Job chapter 31 verse 15. It is God who brings the spirit of that child when the male and female seed meet and there's the embryo. God brings the spirit there. That the child now has a soul or a spirit. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 5. And Afrikaans prediker 11 verse 5. So if it is God who gives life, who is the only one who is allowed to end life of that child? It is only God. It is not the mother's choice. It is not the mother's choice to say, my body, my choice. You see, the problem is the baby is not your body. The baby is a person of its own. He's got his own DNA or she. They've got their own brain, their own heart, their own fingerprints, and sometimes even their own blood group. They, whether it's O positive or AB or A or B, and the mother's got a different blood, blood group. And then the baby can even be a different gender than the mother. So the mother's female, obviously, and the baby can be a male, which shows it's not the mother. It's not her body. It's in the, in the mother's body, but it's not the mother's body. The baby, when it comes to surrogacy that I explained just now, someone else, uh, the, the embryo being planted into another woman, the baby can even be a different nationality. You can have a chi Chinese baby being implanted into a uh, Kosa or an Afrikaans woman. So again, it proves that the baby is not the mother. It's not her body. Even, it's even possible that the mom can die somewhere before, before she gives birth to the baby and that baby can still survive on its own. Again, it proves the baby is not the mother's body. So for a mother to decide, I want to remove one of my kidneys or I want to remove this baby but through abortion, it's not the same thing. The kidney is the mother's body, the baby is not the mother's body. Okay, now someone might say, yes, but the baby, the baby can't survive without the mother. Well, true enough, but R.C. Sproul, before he died, couldn't survive without oxygen machine. Having his oxygen with him, even when he preached, sometimes he would have his oxygen. Must we now say we should have killed Sproul? Because it's dependent on that machine. Abortion is murder. A Bangladeshi guy, many years ago, I was out evangelizing in the street and I stopped at one of the shops and there was a Muslim guy, a Bangladeshi, and I shared the gospel with him and I had an abortion tract, a tract on abortion, and he didn't understand my English, didn't understand what I was saying, and then I tried to explain, he said, oh, my country, they kill you if you do that. They kill you if you abort a baby. Now, I checked the website if it's true yesterday and it seems it's, it doesn't seem true in Bangladesh, but... I think that guy's idea is right. I wish they would do that in Western countries and give the death penalty for abortion because that, that is murdering a child. That is murdering a human being. And I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says that we should give death penalty for abortion. At least in the law of Moses, that is what God commanded them to do. Let me read it to you in Exodus chapter 21, verse 22. When men fight together, so here two men, they're busy fighting, and they hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall be surely fined as the woman's husband imposes the fine, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, so he said if the babies come out and there's no harm, you don't have to, you just need to pay a fine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now, maybe you notice tooth for tooth and babies aren't born with teeth. So you're saying that's not talking about the baby, it's talking about the mom. No, it's talking about both. If the woman is harmed, all the children are harmed. Whether it's someone dies, they lose an eye, whatever. Then life for life. Death penalty for abortion. Now, if, there, if there's a Christian who wants to try and convince me and say that abortion is not sin, abortion is not wrong, let me just ask you this question. Do you think it would have been wrong for Mary, the Virgin Mary, do you think it would have been wrong for her to abort Jesus? Well, of course it would have been wrong. 
In Psalm 22, there's a prophecy about the Messiah, and it says that even from the womb, the Father was His God. Even from the womb, He trusted in His Father. Isaiah chapter 49, another prophecy about Jesus, and this is what it says. Verse 1, listen to me, O coastlands, give attention to you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. That is true about Jesus when he was still in the womb. Even before he was conceived in the womb, you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. And that's not only true of Jesus. That is true of David. That is true of the Apostle Paul. That is true of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1 verse 5. Psalm 71, verse 6, referring to David, and Galatians 1, verse 15. When you, before you were conceived in the womb, when you were conceived in the womb, when you were in your mother's womb, I called you. I appointed you a prophet for the nations. Now, some people will tell me, yes, but the baby's body isn't even formed yet. Or it's busy being formed, but it's not, it's not a complete human because the, the body isn't complete. Who of you have seen that famous books at Kum Bookshop, the Christian bookshop, of, and he's a motivational speaker. It's a Christian guy. He's born without arms and without legs. Should we kill that guy because his body isn't completely formed? Of course not. You know, it's very easy for doctors to say, and doctors do that. It's very easy nowadays for doctors, and I, I, I guess they expect it to say that to their patients. But it's very easy that doctors say to their patients, here's the woman, she comes, they do some scans and sonars and whatever, and they say, it seems that the baby is Down syndrome, I suggest you abort. And that happened to a lady in our church not long ago. And some years back with one of our members, they told her abort the child and the child's fine. The child's 15 years old now. So if we say we should abort Down syndrome children or whatever other disabilities, well, why not, why not seek out all the Down syndrome people in the world and kill them? It's, it's nonsense to think that way. Just because you're Down syndrome, you need to be killed. God has created men and women in His own image, Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. We're created in the image of God. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? It does not have to do with your body because God is a spirit. So even if a child has not got a human body yet, he's still created, she's still created in the image of God. To be created in the image of God points to the uniqueness of a human being. Humans are unique. We can have a relationship with God. And there are many other facets of, of that, what it means to be created in, in His image, but that's one of it. We are unique we can have a relationship with God and even a baby, even the unborn child has that spiritual component. Let me give you an example from the Bible. John the Baptist in Luke 1 verse 15, from the womb he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. John, uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 41, and John the baby in the womb was filled with the Holy Spirit and he jumped for joy. How is it possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're not a human being. And because that is so, because uh, even the unborn child has that spiritual component, babies who die can go to heaven. They're not just stuff, non-life. They are humans. For example, David's baby. Remember when David's baby died? And I know this was after he was born. But that baby died. He could not yet believe but by God's grace, David said, when that child died, he will not come back to me, but I will go to him. That child, I believe, was in heaven. Listen, the unborn baby is a human. At the moment of conception, that baby has human DNA. That baby receives a soul, a human soul. And because the baby is an image bearer of God, you cannot kill babies like you kill mosquitoes or impala or blovela beers. Genesis chapter 9 verse 6. You shall not kill another human being because humans are made in the image of God. Yes, it is right for us to dominate animals. It is right for us to rule the creation. Genesis 1 verse 28. It's right for us to do that. 
But God has not given you and me that dominion over other humans. And therefore you cannot kill babies. Therefore you cannot make slaves of people. Therefore racism is sin. Therefore it is wrong for us to abuse children or to beat up women. Therefore it is wrong. Euthanasia. Ganada do it. Therefore it is wrong to commit suicide. Therefore it is wrong to make slaves of people. Because God hasn't, it, it is unacceptable, it is sin. God hasn't given us dominion over other humans. He's given us dominion over the rest of creation. Okay? Some questions. So, what about this mom? She's now fallen pregnant, but she can't really afford to have that baby. She should, she should have thought of that before she fell pregnant. You can't really afford the baby. But that's the, even that is a bad argument. Because now what are you going to do? Kill the rest of your children who are already born because you can't really afford them. Of course not. What if, what if the mother's life is in danger? She's going to die if this baby is not removed. Well, what they do then is they do remove the baby to try and save the baby's life and the mother's life. And if in the process the baby dies, it's not murder. Because your intention wasn't to kill the baby. Your intention was to save the mother and the baby. What if the, ma the mother is raped? Is abortion acceptable then? No, it is not acceptable. Why do you want to kill the child for the criminal's offense? The Bible tells you children will not be punished for the sins of their parents. So don't kill the baby for something that someone else did wrong. What you do is you carry the baby, you give birth to the baby, and then you give up the child for adoption if you want to do that. But don't murder the child. What if there's some incurable condition? And you know, like we had that funeral, was it two years ago, last year, where the baby was born? You know about the story. I don't want to say names. But the twins were born, and one of the babies was born without a skull. And so the doctor said that baby won't live long. And the parents chose, we're not going to take the child's life. The baby lived for 18 hours, and then he died. And take that... And contrast that with another example I know of, where the doctor told a man, the man told me, the doctor told the man that your children will probably only grow to the age, twin boys, to the age of three or four years old. And the man said, switch off the machines. No, no. It is not your prerogative to take life. It is God who decides. It is God's prerogative to give life and to take life. And maybe, who knows, maybe that child, you know stories like that, where the doctor said, oh, this child's only going to live to the age of three, and then the child lives to the age of 30 or to the age of 50. You know, but even if, even if the baby does only live for a few hours, rather let, let God take the life than you taking the life and you've got that guilt of, I killed the child. And even ending in hell because the Bible says that no murderer has eternal life as something abiding in him. 1 John chapter 3 verse 15. Now, that said, let me rush to add, there is forgiveness. If you've been involved in this, if you've had an abortion, if you encourage someone to have an abortion, if there's a medical doctor watching this and you've encouraged people to have abortions, there is forgive forgiveness if you repent. David committed murder. He was forgiven. Psalm 51. Jesus prayed for those who murdered him. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And sinners were forgiven. The Apostle Paul, he murdered people. Paul was forgiven. So let us love children. Rather than taking their lives, let us love children. And please, do not say that you are anti-abortion, you are pro-life, but then you vote when the comes time to vote, then you vote for a political party that is pro-abortion. Don't do that. Don't do that. John Piper says that's being like Pontius Pilate. Where Pontius Pilate says, I wash my hands in innocence. I've got nothing to do with this man's death. Alright, take him away. Piper says, I am personally pro-life, but politically I'm pro-choice. Pontius Pilate. So let us stand against the sin of abortion. Let us stand for life. 
both the life of the mother and the life of the child. You know, Christians have done this since the very earliest centuries. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle John did this. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 speaks of witchcraft. And the Greek word there is pharmakeia, where we get the word pharmacy. And the Apostle John in Revelation 21, he speaks of, of um, uh, sorcerers. They will be in the lake of fire. They will be in hell. And the Greek word again there is from that root pharmakeia, pharmakois. And what that means is, is uh, witches and, and wizards, and they would mix potions and then use it as medicine, and it would even be used, women swallowing that to abort the child. And we've got examples of that very early in the first century in church, church history. Early Christian documents, actually the first four centuries, you've got documents. And even non-Christians writing Greek writings, and they would use that word, pharmakeia, referring to abortion. So that was common in the first century in the Roman Empire. Let us not, let us not support abortion. You know we can get so used to wickedness because it's everywhere around you and later on you just accept that that's normal. We must not see it as normal. We must not accept abortion. We should rather support life and before the labor, uh, encourage life and promote life. In Proverbs 11, uh, 24 verse 11 and 12, it says that when you see people being led away to slaughter, the innocent are going to be killed and you say nothing. You just say, well, I don't want to get involved. Does not God who sees everything know, know that? Doesn't God see that? And should we not stand up and raise our voice and send out this message against abortion and the evils of abortion? Why not rather see life as a blessing from God and children as a blessing from the Lord? Psalm 127 verse 3. You know, if God wanted to, God could just have killed Adam and Eve on the spot. He said to them, the day you eat of the tree, you'll die. Well, and then we know what happened. He slaughtered animals and made them clothes of skin. So he brought a sacrifice to point forward to Jesus who would die for us. But instead of just killing Adam and Eve here, what does God do? Yes, there's pain. But he says, I will bring life. I will bring life. You will still have children. You will be the mother of all living as she is called in chapter 3 verse 20. And she brings life to others. And yes, birth pains, all birth pains, birth pains, it's painful, everything, the emotional and the physical and the, but the joy, the joy when that child is born and you can raise a child and especially if you raise that child in the ways of the Lord, if you don't raise it in the ways of the Lord, you might have a rebellious child and man, that is pain. But raising that child in the ways of the Lord, just think of Timothy's mother. Timothy Ray, Timothy's mom raised him in the ways of the Lord. His dad wasn't a Christian. Well, you think of Augustine in church history. His mother, Monica, she prayed for him. Augustine's dad wasn't a Christian. But his mother prayed for him and prayed for him and eventually he was saved. You think of Charles Spurgeon's mother. Charles Spurgeon, he said, his, oh, his mother would pray for their salvation, for their conversion. And his dad would go out on Sunday evenings preaching at different places. And when they were little, they would stay home. And the mother would teach the Bible. She would pray for them. She would teach them some Puritan writings. And Spurgeon later in his life said this, Never could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes to a godly mother. So influence your children. Influence them for the Lord. Through your example, through your teaching, and see those children as a gift from God. I'm almost done. But here's something you must not do. Yes, see them as a gift from God, but don't idolize your children. You want children at any cost. Like, remember Rachel. She said to Jacob, give me children or I die. It became an idol. It became an obsession. Children mustn't become an obsession. Yes, you want children maybe and you can't have children. God will give you something better than children. And he says so in Isaiah 56 verse 3 to 5. He said, here are people that can't have children. It's talking about men, eunuchs. They work in the king's palace, but they can't have children. And he says, I will give you something better than children. I will give you an everlasting name. I will give you this name. God will give them this eternal life, a name that they cannot lose. And sometimes he gives, he gives to these women who can't have children, he gives to them a very special bond with children, either in their families or in the church. There are some ladies sitting even here tonight. The children love them. <laughs> the children love them. And I know my kids love them. I know of a man like that. He's not married. He's a single guy. He wants a wife. Hasn't found a wife. And um, 
And my kids love this guy. He visits us from time to time. He's been at church sometimes. They just love this guy. He works at his children's home. He's involved there. And the children love him. So God gives a special bond. Or maybe God gives you spiritual children. What I mean by that is people are converted under your ministry. And now those children, those spiritual children, you can teach them and raise them in the ways of God and in the Word of God. Listen. Being fertile and fruitful doesn't determine your identity. Just like being married doesn't determine your identity. Oh, you're not, oh, there's the married person, there's the single, there's the fruitful person, there's the barren person, there's someone who has kids. No, no, we don't work like that. We don't work like that and the Lord doesn't work like that. So it was very wrong. It was very wrong when people spoke of Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, before she had him. Oh, there's the barren one, she was called. We shouldn't identify people like that. When you lie on your deathbed, or when Jesus returns, He's not going to say, did you have children? It doesn't matter if you had children or not. He's going to say, did you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And the moment you see Jesus, all the pains, whether it be birth pains and what other pains in this world, all the pain you experienced is this world, spiritual, emotional, and physical, will disappear. And it will change like a mother. She had all these birth pains. And the moment she gives birth, and later on they bring the child and she holds the baby, Oh man, that pain is now turned into joy. And how will it not be when we see Jesus? Won't it be the same kind of thing? All this pain will turn to joy. Heavenly Father, I pray for mothers here tonight, for single women who long to be married, for married women who are barren, who long to hold a baby, for women struggling with all these Pregnancy problems and troubles or other kinds of pains. Oh Lord, we can extend that and we do indeed before you in prayer. What about the men? They've got their own troubles and problems. The children. Oh Lord, hear the cries and the calls of your people. And would you take our trials and our sufferings and work it together for good for any who hear this sermon, who has had an abortion. Lord, I pray that you would show them there is forgiveness through the cross of Jesus, that they would turn to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.